Drax is the largest provider of renewable electricity in the UK and plays a critical role in ensuring a secure energy system. The company has plans to invest billions in new infrastructure, such as bioenergy with carbon capture and storage, which will create thousands of jobs, whilst also delivering the energy needed by homes and businesses up and down the UK. Discover more at Drax.com. Welcome to Coffeehouse Shots for Spectator's Daily Politics Podcast. Rishi Sunak has just given his speech in Manchester. I'm Fraser Nelson. I'm joined by pretty much all of my Spectator colleagues. We just watched it in the hotel here, so apologies for the background noise. Now, the upshot seem to be pretty simple. Three main proposals. One is that he's announced a long list of infrastructure projects he's going to do instead of the 36 billion he's not spending on completing HS2 as originally envisaged. Second, he's going to have a lifetime ban on smoking for anybody pretty much born after 2009. And third, he's proposing to abolish A-levels and replace them with an advanced British standard qualification. So, Katie, overall, do you think he succeeded in his objectives of presenting himself as an action man, as you say in your cover story, contrasting himself against, we had a new phrase, didn't we, the last 30 years. That was what he defined himself against, 30 years, i.e. Labour prime ministers and the previous Tory ones. Yeah, I think the unfortunate thing is, obviously, depending on how close you're listening, 30 sounds a bit like 13. And, of course, 13 years of Tory rule is what Keir Starmer wants to talk about. But you can see Rishi Sunak trying to broaden it out, um, so it's not uh, direct attacks on his Tory predecessors. But as we know, they're trying to pitch Rishi Sunak as the change candidate, thinking that is the only way you're going to win in an election. And I think that decision they made was, despite the leaks, which were clearly not planned, they decided to just let the speculation build to the point that it just took over Tory party conference, I think, the past couple of days, in the sense that HS2 came up every single day, but they wanted to hold it despite that, so Rishi Sunak could have that moment and try and make a big bang. Um, I mean, let's see. I think what's interesting is when you're looking at those three policy areas, you could say there's something for everyone. You could also say there's something not for everyone. (laughs) I think it might be another way of putting it. In the sense, HS2 will be divisive. I think there's one to watch in terms of how Andy Street responds. I think um, there was some concern yesterday. The West Midlands mayor could actually resign over this. I think there's been talks to try and prevent that from happening. And you could almost see when Rishi was talking about Andy Street in that he effectively. He was, blew him a big kiss, didn't Well, exactly. He? It almost felt a little bit like a plea, which is mm. going to be very nice about you, so please don't do something 30 <laughs> minutes after the speech, which is going to ruin all my front pages. But, you know, that is something where I think Tory MPs can be quite open to acting the second half, and obviously tried to soften the blow by announcing all these projects. Um, but we know already the division there. Then you have, I think, the smoking ban, which does not feel particularly conservative. Now, we can debate what is conservative, but I think in terms of conservative party politics, this is by far the one when you speak to those around Rishi Sunak where they're a bit, you know, a bit worried, you know, a bit seeing how will people really respond to this because there'll be parts of the party that think, you know, why are we bringing in this ban? And then you have your final one, which is A-levels and abolishing A-levels um, for this new qualification. And I think there, obviously, how does industry re- react? But on that one as I think with some of these, but I think specifically that one, this is a policy that's only really going to see the light of day if Rishi Sunak actually wins the next election. And I don't think that speech there has completely changed things. So, you know, there's a lot to go on whether we really believe that's going to happen. Isabel, it seems as if he wanted to pick fights here. He wants to come up with controversial policies, hence, I suppose, the smoking ban and the abolition of A-levels. They're both talking points, aren't Mm. they? Yeah, I was in the hall and there were still some gasps, actually, from activists when he was talking Mm, about the smoking ban, even though that had been 
pre-trailed and we were expecting it. And he did try to justify why, as a Conservative, he thought this change was you know, within his philosophy, because he said, unlike all other legal products, there is no safe level of smoking, which I think is his attempt also to, to stop people going down the slippery slope argument of, well, are you going to ban very fatty pizzas or are you going to ban alcohol or something like that? So I think the sort of reaction of activists, I mean, it was it was very warm. Uh, they really loved his wife coming on. Um, mm, she, she was the unexpected um, yeah, warm-up warm act. By the way, the first time I can remember any political spouse doing a warm-up. Well, you had Sarah Brown back in, I think oh, it was yes. 2008, yeah. saying, my hero, my husband. But it, it wasn't a lengthy speech like Akshata Murthy gave today. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was really unusual. And uh, I think sort of spoke to what he was trying to weave throughout the speech, which was his values and the importance for him of, of family and love and, and that sort of personal, richly introduction that, that he wanted to give the hall, because this is his first conference as prime minister. But I think in terms of sort of ending the status quo, and mm. I mean, is that something that's going to give Tory MPs a reason to, you know, to say to their voters, this is why you can stick with the Tories? Yeah, you know, because stick they're... with us because we're going to end the status quo of what we've been doing for the past 13 years. Like lots of MPs who I've been talking to at conference, talking to at parties last night, were saying, actually on the doorstep, what our voters are saying is, well, we're quite cross with you, but we've heard nothing from Labour that makes us want to vote for them. So they're almost saying, please give us a reason to stick with you. I'm not sure there was anything that tangible from that, unless you're in a northern town that's going to be affected by um, the upgrades to rail that he announced as a result of scrapping HS2, that's going to make them think, wow, this is the end of the status quo. Sunlit uplands, here we come. Case Andrews, um, Isabel says here she heard intakes of breath when he mentioned of a lifetime smoking ban. What was your reaction? Well, I think you guys can describe my reaction better than I can. I kind of blacked out, but you were witnessing it. But actually watching it on the TV and hearing him announce it out loud was, was even more disappointing. Very quickly on HS2, I think Isabel's point about the status quo is an important one because the status quo continues to be that infrastructure projects are announced and they're not delivered. And we've just had more infrastructure projects announced. Breaking the status quo would be to deliver them. That's something he's not going to be able to do before the next general election. Mm. These are announcements we should have heard back in 2010. We're talking here about this plethora of regional announcements, the Shipley Bypass doing the M2 up the M6. And Network North. But bringing back some of the old rail lines closed down on the beaching cuts, a huge list of, I guess he's saying to, to the nor- northern people, look, you're not getting HS2, but you are going to get all the stuff. Wouldn't you really? Wouldn't you rather have all the other stuff? And I, I, I think there's a really strong case to be made there, and I think he's done the right thing of getting rid of part of this grandstanding project and actually investing the money in local infrastructure. But, you know, he now has to deliver it. That, that would be the change the status quo on the smoking ban. I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous public policy. We are going to live in a world if this goes through, where in 2060, 50 year olds are begging their sibling who's a year or two older to buy them a pack of 20. You know, it's it, you can't imagine how this is seriously going to work. It's only going to increase the black market around cigarettes. You know, I, we were talk, talking about how it's probably going to threaten to make smoking cool again. Not, given the fact that Gen Z in particular, but millennials too, have just been turning away from cigarettes without any of these kinds of interventions. It is such a strange area to hone in on, to decide to do something so deeply illiberal, to make what is legal activity illegal for people based on their age, even when they are consenting adults. It is such an overstep. And, you know, we're going to live in a world where 25-year-olds can't buy a cigarette and they can't get on the housing ladder. 
I mean, if you care about the next generation, how did we just have a speech where we've heard about smoking bans and nothing about homes? But, but Kate, what about his point there, that smoking is unequivocally a bad thing? There's, there's no universe here where, where you can say that you would like a single young person to start smoking. I wouldn't like a single young person to start smoking. There are lots of things I don't want young people to do. Doesn't mean that we make them illegal. Here, here's, the, here's the flaw in the, in the philosophical argument. If you think smoking is that evil, you ban it. You don't ban it because somebody's 18 and somebody's 19 or somebody's 19 and somebody's 20, you ban it. And of course, Rishi Sunak knows that he can't do that. I would hope deep down he knows he shouldn't do that. And part of living in a civilized society is recognizing people will make different choices to you and those choices won't always be good. This has nothing to do with approving of cigarettes. This has everything to do with the fact that we are going to now have people from 2009 onwards who are asked to pay tax, who are asked to become parents, who are asked to take on every kind of responsibility in the world, who are asked to run this country, who can't legally partake in activity that somebody one year older can. It's, it's bonkers. Isabel, the Labour Party are going to be gathering down the road in Liverpool um, this coming weekend. How do you think they're going to respond to these new policies? I mean, do you think they're going to pledge to do HS2 uh, in the original format like Andrew Adonis envisaged? Do you think they're going to promise to, to liberate 14-year-olds from the oppression that Sam Sinek now threatens? Yeah, I think the HS2 question is really interesting because Labour has lent quite heavily on Tory decisions that it won't reverse to say we want to give businesses certainty, we don't want to mess around, we will have to accept the arrangements that, that we inherit when we come into government. And you know, as we've covered extensively on this podcast, Rachel Reeves's uh, obsession with um, being fiscally responsible and uh, and saying that you know the Labour government is a Labour government wouldn't spend more than the, the Conservatives is is going to make this quite an interesting question for them. They have though been trying to brand it, even though it was you know originally a Labour line, as you say, as the government's flagship levelling up project mm. to try to tie it more closely to the Conservatives. And to also emphasise that line, as Andy Burnham has been saying, you're, you're cutting us off. Um, yeah. This is a very much line. But, but when it comes to the cigarette ban, where's treating himself was indicating that he was minded to follow um, New Zealand. I mean, right now, I think Britain is the only country in the world to follow Jacinda Ardern's fairly radical policy of introducing this, this, this lifetime ban. So it seems, I mean, I wonder if there was an element of the Tories, who, by the way, in my view, they offered childcare child for the under fives to, to shoot Labour's fox. They thought, whatever we think Labour's going to offer at the election, we're going to do it ourselves and deny them a policy. Now, I wonder if we're streeting when he said he's thinking of following New Zealand. That made somebody number 10 think, ah, let's do it as well. And the overall policy being to, to try to close down any, um, any advantage that they think might Labour have over them. Yeah, I think they, they are a bit spooked by the way in which Labour has talked a lot about preventive medicine. But I think no one in public policy, I mean, in a sense, smoking is a much easier thing to talk about, isn't it, than some of the other contributors to poor health and some of the actually now much bigger burdens on the NHS, which is sort of you know, very unhealthy society leading to obesity and all the associated conditions with that. You know, it's much harder actually to have a, an intelligent conversation about junk food, for instance, or about exercise or anything like that, because you can't have the state mandating what kind of pizza you're going to eat. I mean, the, the, you know, there might be a few people who would like to do that, but, uh, but actually it's much harder. I think more than a few people. I think this is the real tragedy, is this is probably going to be popular policy, not least because it's not going to affect 
current adults so it doesn't directly affect you and and sadly there is that authoritarian streak in the uk we, we certainly saw it during covid which people people love these kinds of interventions and that's why we call them a liberal right because in a free society you're not supposed to do this to the minority I'd like to bring in our news editor, John Connolly, who lives in Stafford, close here to Manchester. He's got the heroic commute when he comes down to London. John, what did you make of that? Um, I guess the Prime Minister was trying to make a direct appeal to the voters up north saying, look, you're not going to get your high-speed rail. Well, you are going to get the trains, but they won't be going high-speed anyway from crew. But in return, you are going to get this plethora of others, upgrades, bypasses, old train lines, etc. Do you think that will strike voters up here as a net positive? I think one of the things in Sunak's favour is that HS2 isn't particularly popular anywhere in the country, and that includes up north, and that's something that northern leaders probably like to gloss over quite often when they were very much on board with the project. I think the part Sunak will struggle with is that Lots of Northerners have heard a lot of this before about being promised infrastructure projects. It wasn't that long ago that Boris Johnson was doing the same and was going to rebuild the Trans-Pennine route and electrify it. And it's, it's, it's Groundhog Day all over again. And the fact is that if you want to get anywhere around uh, between northern cities and from the outskirts of Manchester into the centre, it's still going to be really, really difficult for years to come. So I think there's going to be a lot of scepticism about this, I think, and, you know, the seeing is believing. And unfortunately for Sunak, the election is next year. None of this infrastructure is going to be done by then, so he's not going to see really any political benefit. And people up here have been messed around so much for so long that I think it's not going to make much difference politically. I thought his list of Tory achievements was really telling because there's just not very much (laughs) that he felt he could say voters should be thanking the Conservatives for at the next election that directly affects them. And, you know, Britain is is right to be proud of its um, support of Ukraine. It's right to be excited about the AUKUS pact. You know, I spend a lot of time in Barrow. Not many people in Barrow talk about AUKUS, and that's... uh, town yeah. that is directly affected by that stuff. Probably more than anywhere, anywhere else in the country. Exactly. Because this means supervision with new submarines and yeah. Exactly. So it's that, you know, it, if he then burrows down into, as John says, transport links or spades in the ground, you know, just to go back to Barrow, everyone complains about the state of the high street, which is still going to be boarded up by the time of the next election. So do people feel like their lives, their towns, their communities have got better by then? Are they going to say, thanks, Tories? I don't think Rishi Sunak thinks that because he certainly didn't give that impression in his speech today. Fraser, what did you make of the education announcements? I was quite taken aback by it, to be honest. I mean, I share his overall concern that I mean, us Scots have always thought that our system where we take five subjects and hires is better than the English system having to choose three subjects at quite an early young age. We, it often strikes us Scots as being when you're 15, 16, can you really work out if you're going to be a words person or a, a numbers person or a science person? This is a old debate, but it's a hell of a big thing to take on now. A-levels have existed for 70 years. And I think if you're going to overhaul children's education, I'm, I'm the parent of um, a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old. Of course, the latter will be able to buy cigarettes the rest of his life. The 13-year-old one will never be able to legally buy cigarettes. But what both of them face now is a system which has gone through huge upheaval. As soon as you get your head around the new GCSE system, the 789 thing, then there's the A-level grading. It wasn't so long ago that 43% of students were getting A's. Now it's back down to 25%. So yet more upheaval where you're thinking of abolishing, I assume, the recently introduced T-levels and the A-levels and coming up with something. It's rapid change, but I don't really think... I see this as more starting a conversation. I remember when the Tomlinson Review came out into the Blair government, that was about 2003, they proposed something similar. 
And I think then they envisaged a 10-year rollout for this, because think of what needs to be done. New exam boards need to be setting up to come up with this advanced British standard. It needs to be agreed to a hugely harmonised extent. Teachers need to understand it. The universities who will be using these ABS exams to um, decide who should get into the unis, they need to understand it as well. So all of this takes years and years and years, 10 years probably, and I'm not sure that Rishi Sunak has got 10 months to do this. So I think with something like this, in my opinion, you would need either cross-party support or a stonking big two-term majority. So I, th- I see this as the start of a conversation about what should happen to A-levels. I don't think it's going to change. And uh, I, I find it a slightly strange segue to the HS2 and the net zero reform. I would love to have seen welfare reform, for example, on there. I thought that would have been the bold and natural um, consequence um, of this. I still hope he might do well for reform, but it wasn't to be in this particular speech. So it had, for me anyway, a slightly anticlimactic um, element to it. On that note, um, thank you, Kate, Katie, John and Isabel. And it's time for all of us now to get on the Spectator minibus and to fend our way through the train strikes back down to, well, in John's case, Stafford, and in our case, London. Thanks for listening.